Yeah, I think so. I'm not entirely sure how old they are. They're younger than me, uh, but they're in like Vancouver capital market stuff. They do they do a podcast. It's a, a social media media channel that they run. Uh, it's called VHLA. You should look it up. Maybe I will. they would they would be good to talk to. Yeah, they're fun. Definitely. They're fun dudes, man. They're just kids too. So yeah, yeah. Very pretty cool. Well, what was their uh... VHLA? VHLA. Yeah, they really uh, embodied the whole kind of Wolf of Wall Street vibe on their channel, and they do these, they do these like quick stock summary videos. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, they're. I mean, Tyler, I think is the voiceover for it, okay. but he, the the voice that he does sounds very much like the Wolf of Wall Street, like. Leonardo DiCaprio in it, see, you know, like kind of a Brooklyn-dish New York kind of accent. And uh, it's pretty entertaining. It's pretty entertaining. And they make some good picks because they also have a lot of insider information. <laughs> yeah, just follow them. Look at a couple of their videos. They're fun. Are they, are they on uh, Spotify, YouTube? I don't know where their podcast is. They're big on Instagram and I think TikTok as well. Mm. Yeah, just check out their Instagram and then... I'll be able to lead you to wherever you need to go. I think so. Okay. Well, these guys would be a good intro yeah. to that. They can kind of give you, uh, yeah, you'll, yeah. You'll, know, you'll know when you okay. get there. They're yeah, fun. Yeah. They're funny. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, if we want, uh, I've, I've been rolling just, just if there's anything. Yeah. Could, I figured yeah. we'd just talk, yeah. man, and yeah, just go for it. Because you can take whatever I'm, we were saying now and maybe just throw it in at some point. Exactly. You know, you can you can mix it all up. Right? Exactly. And honestly, like, I wish that, like, f for example, uh, like Joe Rogan's episode, mm -hmm. they don't begin with an intro or anything. They just start talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's that's natural, man. Exactly. Because, dude, you just take you just take the intro, like, you cut it from any other your other episodes, right? Or you just have a stock file, yeah. which is the intro, and then you just insert, and then start the actual podcast right yeah i don't i know a couple podcasts that do that you can tell because you can hear it it's a different sound quality mm -hmm. and then when they actually start talking it's a bit different yeah i was i was thinking have you ever heard lex friedman's podcast at all is he he's a psychologist a, he's, he's or is a, he like the he's a big tech guy ai guy oh no i'm way no, off no. yeah no okay okay no. i think maybe it's like i'm not sure I'm not sure. Very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on Joe Rogan a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan was on his. Um, but no, yeah. Basically, he has an introduction, like a three-minute introduction, right? Where half of the time is sponsors, the other half is yeah. uh, him introducing yeah. the person, and he always gives like a quote or like a little poem before. But yeah, no. I my my intros are usually me sitting down with a person and and saying like. Hey guys, like welcome back. Mm -hmm. um, I have this person on, blah 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 blah. And then okay, yeah. like ask the first question. That kind of starts the conversation. Yeah. But you know, moving to that point where our conversation becomes so much more natural. But I think that with Joe Rogan, I think the reason why they're so natural is because he has a lot of the people he has on are, mm. are his friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it's they already have that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they've already met. They've already gone through all that exactly. ice break and got to know each other. So it's yeah. real easy to get And plus he's a it. professional with, you know, making the conversation. Yeah. He's sure. a professional commentator, right? I mean, yeah. that was his job in the UFC. Exactly. Right. I believe. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. 
and comedian. So yeah, the dude's not a lot. Yeah, yeah definitely pretty. <laughs> I think that's like, that's like going door to door sales, the equivalent for like the comedy world. Right. Yeah. Or for broadcasting or whatever it is. Right. Public speaking. Yeah. Public if you speaking. can stand up on a stage and tell jokes. I think that's, that's and that, well, I mentioned Toastmasters. It helps a lot with that because, you know, you go in and, Basically, like how it looked like for me, it was my first time. Mm-hmm. You go in and, you know, there's, there's, there's a 15 minute chatting period at the beginning where you just get to know other people. Mm-hmm. And it was me and my friends first time. And uh, we came in, they sat us down and basically everyone that was up there telling, like introducing either Toastmasters mm-hmm. or students from Toastmasters mm-hmm. that have, I don't know if you call it graduated or just, you know, but it, anyway, so this is how it looks like. Basically, you... You go to Toastmasters and they're, the first half an hour, there are four people who get up and present their speech. Speech, mm-hmm. I think, that they prepared for a week and they sign up to present the speech. And they have, like, the time is very stricting. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, you know, where there's a guy sitting there with three smiley, with three smiley faces, a green, yellow, and red. Mm-hmm. When green face means you're good on time, yellow means you're getting close to the end, mm-hmm. and you know, red means you're yes. out of time. Yeah. So it's, it's all very, very, very structured. And from my understanding, I don't know Toastmasters that well yet, but from my understanding is once you get to a certain point, you can go and public speak in front of big, big crowds. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what about. I'd assume from, uh, like, marketing Toastmasters and mm-hmm. advertising Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. But... I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, so it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. really good. And I talked about that bell with, you know, whenever you say an um word or an mm-hmm. uh word, they mm-hmm. ring it. And uh, there's a few people that were up there that said like, um, and they rang the bell and they knew that they'd ring the bell before mm-hmm. they rang the bell. So mm-hmm. they said, um, and then they looked at yeah, the bell. Yeah. So it's, you know, hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty structured. It's so what do they speak about? Like when you go up on this stage? And you yeah. Talk? So a lot of, you mean, you mean stage there or in front of big crowds? No, there. There. Like at so the event. there was a guy, don't remember his name. I think his name was Chang. He was from, uh, he was from Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. almost all the people there are entrepreneurs. He invented, like, I've, I've seen the skipping rope. It's, it's a skipping rope, mm-hmm. but with no rope. So it's just two handles with a little rope on the end and a ball. Little rope mm-hmm. and a ball. Connects to your phone, from my understanding. And... You, you just skip and it counts how many skips you've made and all of that. And I've, I've, no I've, rope. No rope. So you just you know, move your hands as if there's a rope and you jump. But anyway. It, but where's it, the coordination with that? Well, because if there's no rope, there's no object for you to well, avoid you, I, hitting, I, I, right? I guess I think you'd imagine that when a rope is like when, you're, when your hands are down low, yeah. you'd have to jump until you bring them back up. I was a personal trainer for a bit and a CrossFit oh. trainer. And yeah. they use a skipping rope quite a bit and they do double unders. And so when you jump, the rope passes under your feet oh, okay. twice. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people would like jump high enough and like spin the rope. Like it was a very delicate skill like the timing mm-hmm. required for that i mean it was like speed bag for boxers and stuff right like it's quite hard mm-hmm. to do um and it would look like they did it right you know if there was no rope yeah yeah, yeah. I <laughs> but see the rope's there 
and it yeah. definitely told them that you did not do this right. You know, yeah. and actually, because we used on, on some of the skipping ropes, they were steel wire. Okay. And so it oh, actually sweet. hurt. Yeah. When you because you're trying to spin it as fast as you can, mm -hmm. and if you get caught, it will come around and it will whip you, and it hurt, would hurt. Um, and so that was a really good learning stimulus to not yeah, yeah. to not fuck up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine if you don't have the rope or the steel wire, it's like totally different. But I I, I still yeah. can see the appeal for people who are like, I just want to like jump up and down and yeah. like track whatever. <laughs> like my phone will tell me like all these cool stats and shit. Right? Yeah. 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 I can see that. And it was he. So anyway, he invented the thing. I'm not exactly sure how it works. There, there, so he was talking about a problem that it solved. Mm. I'm not sure what the problem was because he had a very thick accent. Okay. Even though he was in Toastmasters and you could tell like yeah. he was getting a lot better with it. But it was kind of hard to understand. Mm. So mm -hmm. he spoke about a problem and the solution that he had for it. And, you know, him inventing mm -hmm. this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, his speech was about seven minutes long. And... For each speaker, that's different. I'm pretty sure you like sign up with however long you want your speech to be or mm. something like that. Mm. But it was my first time, so mm. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But mm. yeah, so anyway, he, he invented the thing and it was, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. And he said it's, 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 you know, selling really big. And I saw it a year ago. So when I saw him saying mm. that he invented the thing, I'm like, oh mm -hmm. my. That's, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That is, that's, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's really mm -hmm. cool. But no, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean where, I don't know, maybe I didn't hear him out that well. Maybe there's... You know, it times a little bit different. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's an interesting concept. That's for sure. Be interesting to know what the what the problem is. Yeah, solving with the skipping rope. Uh, if I only because it was, it was me and my friend we were sitting, and then at the end, at the end, you're supposed to evaluate. There's a QR code. Mm -hmm. You scan it, and it's like a Google's forms, and you evaluate the person on their speaking a bit like okay how, how well they speak yeah. well, any filler words what do you think about the topic mm -hmm. and all that mm -hmm. and you know we, we were getting through the thing and I turned to my friend and I quietly asked him like what was the problem again or like what was the solution he was like I don't know so mm. wasn't just yeah wasn't yeah. just you would you rank him I, I gave him a I don't remember it was I think I think, I think it was like a four out of and then, out of five. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Uh, Shit. Like he, 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 he was good. You could tell he just came to Canada. Oh, okay. And you know he's his speaking was so getting a lot better. He had improved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even though it was my first time, but I feel yeah. like I could tell. And I looked to the person beside me, and they gave him like a four, saying like, mm. like good improvement. So I'm like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then towards the end, well, after after that, there were a few more activities that we all did. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, they. Uh, it was, we, we were the only new guests there. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, they're like, okay, uh, you know, Matthew and his friend, like, welcome, welcome to the thing. What'd you guys think about it as your first time? And we were sitting, there was about 30 people there. Mm. Okay. And, and then they asked us and I'm like, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, let me be a Toastmaster here. So I'm a stand up. I stood up and I just started blabbing on about, what do I do about my podcast? Mm -hmm. How I got into Toastmasters for like a minute. Mm -hmm. But then I realized towards the end that I've said so many filler words mm -hmm. that the bell could have gone off like 50 times. Oh, wow. And I kind of wish it did because it, you know, it'd get in my head that yeah, I would yeah. stop saying those yeah. words. But, but no, yeah, but I don't know. Toastmasters are, are a thing that are international mm -hmm. and they're big 
everywhere. I know when my grandpa first came to Canada, he he went to Toastmasters. My uncle went to Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. They all did Toastmasters, and you know, I I I'd highly suggest anyone anyone who's out there listening. You know, there's a Toastmaster. I'm pretty sure like every community, you know, go to that Toastmasters, mm -hmm. it, it'll help you public speak, speak to other people, and then obviously would help me, you know, the more I go, would help with my podcasts and those filler words and how to properly, let's say, introduce myself mm -hmm. or talk to a person. It's, you know, it's... Speaking it's, is so important. Oh, yeah. It's so important. I mean, especially if you're thinking about getting into business or anything like that. Yeah. That's your whole job or sales, right? You yeah. got to know how to talk to people. And as much as, much as, as it's about speaking and the words you use and enunciation it's also about your body language too exactly which no one listening now can see right, right but so many cues i think it was a harvard study i'm not sure but i was reading a book um that said it would take all the computers in the world currently and i believe this was like in the 90s maybe mm -hmm. early 2000s and it would take all the computers in the world hundred or a thousand years to dissect and analyze all the body language cues that are presented in I think it was like a five minute interaction between two humans. So sorry, so you mean the computer doesn't have enough There's power. so many body language cues subconsciously that we give okay. off to the person that we're interacting yeah. with that it would take all the computers in the world at whatever time this was done, around 100 or 1,000 years, oh, to wow. analyze. Like, it, really what it's wow. saying is it's an absurd amount, right, of just small, little, minute things that we do, like looking away slightly, or like moving your head in a certain right. way, or putting your hand to your face, yeah. right? Like that kind of stuff, and it's subconscious, and it resonates, and then that other person subconsciously is going to react to that and it's going to change how they speak or whatever right or what their opinion of you you know right yeah because i thought it was like a few a few minor things like which way i look if i smile during conversation and you know where i hold my hands well there's the big ones things, right but yeah there's the big wow. ones that we all know yeah um but there's also all those small little we ones. We don't even notice. Right? That you don't even cool. know you're doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but yeah. the other person doesn't even really know that they're even observing those things. You know? Mm. It's interesting. It's pretty wild. It's yeah. pretty wild. So, I mean, I'm confident you could spend your entire life. I mean, I'm sure there are people at Ivy League universities and other research institutions that, that are spending their entire lives trying to... Yeah analyze how humans interact with each other and all the different layers there is. Huh. I, was, I was going through Instagram reels and I was sucked in pretty good as you usually get, oh, yeah. right? Um, and I, this one popped up and it was Dan Bilzerian and usually I see the guy's face and I just swipe past. Uh, and I actually, funny, so I worked on a junior mining company and our CFO at the time actually worked with Dan Bilzerian on uh, what was his, his marijuana company? He had a cannabis company. It was a publicly mm -hmm. traded cannabis company. Anyways, he worked on that with him and said, he told us a bunch of wild stories. Like, guy's just freaking nuts. But anyway, don't know him personally. Don't really have anything against him. I just don't really care to hear what he's got to say. But anyways, I listened to this one. And 
it was him talking about how after a certain point in terms of financial stability, you just don't, you, you don't get any happier with the more money you get. Right. Cause like what you were talking about where what actually kind of matters in people's lives, a lot of people think like they need to just get more money and money does in fact buy happiness and all of that. But you know, it does, it buys freedom and it buys stability, but beyond a certain point after your basic needs are met, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. Like he was saying that I think the guy's worth like 350 million or something like that. And he said, you know, if you take a guy making a hundred grand a year, give him 200 grand a year, he'll be happy, but that will fade. He'll get used to the 200 grand. And he's like, you know, I'll go out and like buy a Ferrari. I'll put a hundred miles on it and then I'll be sick of it and I'll sell it. Like I'll be happy for like 24 hours after a buy and that's it. And the guy interviewing him was like, well, what does make you happy? And he's like surfing, hanging out with my buddies, all the shit that doesn't cost money, yeah. right? And this is coming from a guy that's like, I mean, I, I'm sure you remember just like a few years ago, or at least it feels like a few years ago to me, um, he was huge. Like everybody was like Dan Bilzerian because all the hot chicks he had with him all the time, like his Instagram was blowing up. Like dude was like pretty, pretty hot at the time. And so he's like done everything, man. And yeah. That's what he said. And I was like, yep, I do agree. Out of all the other shit you said that I've heard this guy say and do, I totally agree with what you have to say there, man. Like, uh-huh. comes a point where it's just, you know, enjoy your time, man. Stop being in the rat race, you know? Yeah. So money's a means to an end. It's not the whole race itself. Do you believe from your experiences that money buys happiness? No, I would agree with Dan Bilzerian. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that, yeah. Once your basic needs are met, like anything beyond that, I don't think is really, it's incrementally less happiness the more money you get. Hmm. Speaking of studies and speak and of us referencing studies that we actually cannot actually reference because we don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> one of one there was a study done, I believe it was it might have been a Yale study this time or okay. something. And they studied the effects of wealth on happiness. Oh. And there was it was it inclined steadily at around two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand. And again you you know I don't know what year this was. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there was you know account for inflation into that. And Beyond that, it actually plateaued and began to decline. So, can't remember who said this. More money, more problems. It's kind of what that study proved. Yeah. More money you had beyond that point, you kind of had more problems. <laughs> yeah. And your happiness began to decline. And it got pretty high up there in the terms of net worth. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I... Uh... I listened to this person speak, and what he said, I 100% believe. I don't remember who exactly it was, but they said, I, th I think it was Patrick Ben David. He said, uh, he's the, um, the maker of a Valuetainment podcast. Not sure if you, uh, no. Valuetainment? It's no. Like, no. Anyway, uh, he said, what do people want 
af like after they have an unlimited amount of money, if they have mm -hmm. so much money, they, they can't spend it fast enough. What mm -hmm. do they want after that? And the answer is they want power. Mm. They, you know, they, they've, they've achieved the most money you could possibly achieve. They're living the best lives, you know, arguably, and there's nothing else they could do. So mm -hmm. what they want is power. And that's, you know, I, 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 you know, I completely agree with that. But, you know, what, what would be the definition of, of having so much money that you can't spend it fast enough? Again, beyond your basic needs, right? Like, once you can, once you have these houses all over the world, why do you need another one in the same place? You know, like, mm -hmm. it, there comes to a point of saturation. It, does, it just doesn't even make sense anymore. It's not logical. And so if you're a person that makes $100 million a year, you got there being a logical intelligent person most likely who knows in this day and age yeah. um could have just you know been like kim kardashian or something you know <laughs> i don't know what the hell they're famous for or rich yeah. for but anyway you know and and it, yeah just it comes a point man saturation it just doesn't even make any sense beyond that so i don't know but yeah. You know, referencing your study and referencing the one that I mentioned as well, like people just get caught up in that competitive landscape that we have nowadays and just don't take a step back and live in the moment. They're always living in the future. What do you, they what forget, do you mean by that? They forget to be present. Because you're always thinking what can I do? What, is, what work is there to do in the future, right, where I could improve my situation? Um, you're always thinking about what you don't have. You're never thinking about what you do have. Oh, I see. Oh. Like you, I'm sure you have yeah. ambitions with your podcast or with, you know, your career and stuff like that. And you're always thinking about that next episode and, and all of that, yet you forget you've done 37. I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, I've come a long way. And it's a bit of a cliche to say, right? Like people think, you know, you got to take a step back and, and look at what you've accomplished every once in a while. Because it compounds quickly. And not enough people do that once they get to a certain point. They just keep going. They just keep going. And, and then they're miserable at some point in their life and they wonder why. Mm-hmm. But that keep going, do you, th like, I'm just, if, if I don't take a step, I don't know, wouldn't that kind of, I'm just thinking, like, wouldn't that kind of be motivation if you don't take that step back and look at what you already have, but keep, keep going and keep pushing f to achieve more and better? I guess it, it depends on the person, but what I think it is, is if you stop and look at what you've accomplished, because if you... Set, a, set out to achieve a goal mm -hmm. in the future and then you don't even think about it. You just, you've hit that goal and you just keep going. You don't even think about it. And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I am way beyond where I wanted to be like three or four years ago. And then hmm. it, it's, it's kind of disincentivizing to continue in a way, you know? 
It could be, depending on the person, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you're kind of mentally stopping that momentum. Perhaps could be perceived like that. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. I just think people just got to balance a bit more. And there's a whole, like, and there's this narrative kind of perpetuated by venture capital and all that because venture capital firms are obviously incentivized to get the most out of their founders and their portfolio companies and get the best money on money return and IRR for their LPs. And so there's that narrative of just, there's no work-life balance in a startup. It's just go, 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 go. It's growth at all costs, right? And it's always looking forward, but it's not, it's not necessarily true because <laughs> there's this whole community of bootstrapped founders who build their companies, don't take on any VC, and maintain a work-life balance. Some even have a full-time job somewhere else while they're building their side project until that eventually takes off. And now they can focus on that full-time. I mean, think about like a, like a plumber or whatever. You know, he goes, gets his skills, and then works a job, learns on the job, and then goes and starts his own contracting business. Right. Hmm. He didn't go take VC and have to turn that into a $10 million business in like three years. You know, like he's maintaining a work life balance while he's working for himself. And and, I mean, nowadays making probably good, good money. It's just going to get better for those guys. Um, And is with his family every night and has that kind of balance. But yeah, the, the VCs don't want you to, to do that because they don't get anything, you know? Where do they get? So balance is important, I think, very yeah, much. most definitely. Very much so. Yeah. And uh, you are a co-founder of a venture capital firm, or how would I, like... Well, I did just kind of shit talk the VCs a little bit there. Um, so I wouldn't say we're a venture capital firm. We don't, we don't provide um, growth capital. We're not a minority investor. We're a majority investor. We acquire like venture staged companies. Um, we like to buy those bootstrap businesses. We don't buy venture backed businesses. Uh, not to say that we wouldn't, at some point, but I mean, with that whole narrative and, and founders thinking they just got to grow as fast as possible, there's a lot of money left on the table in those companies if you no longer have that pressure to, to grow three, four, five hundred percent a year, right? If all of a sudden you switch gears and you go, well, if you grow 40% this year, that's great. But you maintain a 20% operating margin. Fantastic, right? Mm. It's a huge shift, huge mental shift. And so when we come into a business, if it's a venture capital-backed business, usually it's burning money. 
And where we would look to see is how could we fix that? Why are they burning money in the first place? What are they spending money on that they don't necessarily need to in order for us to achieve that 40% growth? You know, maybe they're growing 100% and we can afford to lose 60% growth, but we need to make sure we're increasing that net margin to at least 20%, right, or more, right? So that's a bit of a turnaround sort of transaction. And that's a long way of saying we may look at venture-backed companies in the future. But right now we like to buy businesses that are profitable already and growing at a steady click. Okay. But mostly our, uh, our criteria revolves around competitive advantages and niche, niche markets. So, okay, how exactly, how, could you dumb it down a bit? How exactly does um, your, or not your company, the company you co-founded, Maker Capital, work? Do you guys buy, you guys buy the companies and then try to find where, they're, where they've been lacking in some sense and try to build that up, or what exactly happens? Yeah, so we buy the company okay. fully, well, a minimum of 67% ownership okay. in the company. So, so we have okay. control, right? Uh, we look, ideally, for good businesses in niche markets with defensible, or with a defensible moat. And so what that means is that they have unique advantages in their market that would prevent or make it difficult for new entrants to take customers from them or for existing competitors to take their customers, right? Like their product or service is very sticky to their customers and it's unlikely that they'll leave or not order their product or service again in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's the simplest way of explaining what we do and, how, and what we look for in a, in a company. Okay. Right. So what do you, what, what in a company makes you think that, you know, this is the one, this is the one we're going to invest in. This is the one we're going to, we're going to help. Um, well, or could you like give an example of like a recent one or. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it really, if it checks all the boxes on the checklist and it, like I said, has that competitive advantage. It has a, a very strong competitive advantage. And it is, it also has, we see also a lot of opportunities to add value in the business uh, that would either grow margins or increase revenue. Mm -hmm. So those are the two ways that you add value to a business once you buy it. You either increase revenue or you increase margins. So if we can do both and it's a business that's been operating for a long time and has proven its continued profitability and its competitive advantages, then that would be pretty exciting. I wouldn't say that I'll ever 
be like, this is like the one and only ever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I would get excited. I would get excited about that, that deal. Um, but you got to avoid getting emotionally attached to investment opportunities because at any moment in time, there's a lot of variables and yeah. at any moment in time, it could fall through and you have to just be willing to accept that or you have to be willing to step away at any moment. You should never have to do a deal, right? I see. So could you, could you share one of the biggest or best turnouts for a company that you guys helped? You guys invested in now? Mm, well, we're a pretty new firm, so we've made one acquisition. Um, but I could use that one sure. as an example. <laughs> uh, so we bought, it's a software company. Uh, we bought this company in January of this year. And it previously didn't have any sales or marketing uh, departments, really no effort in that area. It was all word of mouth. It was growing completely organically. Mm -hmm. um, prior year to us buying it, it grew 30%. But before that, it was relatively flat. It got hit by COVID fairly substantially, but then rebounded pretty quickly in 2022. We bought that company and now this isn't like the ideal transaction for us moving forward okay. because it required a heavy lift. It was a lot of work. Uh, everybody had to pretty much be on it full-time or at least close to full-time. We built out an entire sales marketing department. We redesigned the entire product. We're in the stages of rebuilding the entire product. And this isn't like a fairly simple thing either. It's quite complex. It does a lot of different things. It's, it's a, it's a bunch of tools. They're like small SaaS products wrapped into one. So it's kind of like a platform as a service at the moment. And so we redesigned that whole thing. We'll be launching the new, the new version of that next year. And we have grown the company 40%, a little over 40% this year. And we've maintained around 30% operating margins. All the while going from, I think a headcount of three when we bought it to 12 now. So, you know, that is a pretty good success, I think. Especially for us in the less than a less than a year oh. right mm -hmm. um however something like that may not be sustainable because it required so much work from us right, right, right. but it also only took us 10 months to get there you know now i don't uh spend as much time on that business i handle some things and mostly general kind of oversight and check in for things and ask questions and just, you know, just, I guess, be a bit of annoying <laughs> to the guys that are working on it. Um, but now my focus is back on maker and uh, growing, you know, our 
core business and acquiring other companies and deal flow and all of that. Mm -hmm. How much, so you guys, I'd assume, are looking for companies right now? Yeah. What is the criteria for a company that you guys are wanting to invest in? Um, three to 15 million in revenue between 750. Well, if it's growing quickly and it already has a team in place, 500,000 to 1.5 million in EBITDA. And like I said, you know, that competitive advantage, um, a lot of other financial metrics that I won't mention okay. just cause it's just too many it's too much in the in nitty-gritty uh, but yeah software uh, agency or one strategy I, I quite like right now is um, traditional businesses that have an opportunity to or that have not adopted technology yeah that makes sense. right and so with our technological expertise, we can come in and not just, you know, start using soft, like a third party software that's already out there to help optimize the business, but we can build our own, right? So when we're able to look at a company that has been operating in a traditional agent, in a traditional uh, industry that, you know, is like an evergreen industry, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and their customers are going to come back, buy again the mm -hmm. next year. We find that really exciting when they haven't been using technology to do that, to offer that product or service. And there's, you know, let's say they're operating at like a 15% margin. And we can come in, build some tech or even just use some third-party tech and go from 15 to like 25 even 30% operating margin, right? Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I quite like that strategy, but they're hard to find. And you have to really understand a lot of different businesses and how they operate and different business models because every business is different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Based off your website, it all looks very tech-based. Mm -hmm. Is so you guys only help companies that tech-wise or no? Our website is a little bit dated. Okay. Our strategy and what what we're actually doing now has kind of shifted a little bit from when we first started. Um, <clears throat> but I would say yeah, like our core competency is tech. Like buying software companies is what we know and understand uh, the most. Is that because of what you guys studied in university or? No, it's just our team and, and yeah. what the experience of our team, okay. um, <clears throat> our operating team. But, you know, that we do also have experience in, in other areas like e-commerce and stuff. So I would say more generally, our expertise is in online businesses. I see. Yeah. I see. Um, Software is our favorite of that broad group but you know e-commerce and um, other agent like agency businesses like service businesses um, that also works with us yeah so 
from my understanding, you guys, you and four of your friends started uh, Maker Capital. Is that? Yeah. 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 What, um, was, what was the initial? Well, response? actually, it was well, it was the three of us. So the origin story of Maker, um, and I just prefer to drop the capital part. That's just okay. a requirement of like the registry when oh, you're I registering okay, your okay. Na okay. business names and stuff. Um, yeah, I've never been a fan of the capital, the capital bit. Uh, but anyway, the origin story of, of Maker is what well, goes back to a deal with a staffing agency. And we were going to buy this staffing agency, or I was going to buy this staffing agency. And no, sorry, let me backtrack. Jeez. I was going to invest in this staffing agency. So you want to cut this out, but it's snowing. Yeah, I know. I, I, didn't even I know saw that. I, looking out that window, I, just was I like, love snow. I'm so excited. Jesus, it's freaking snowing already. I, I got to drive home. <laughs> no shit, man. And then I got, I got well, it won't stick. Like, you'll be fine. It won't stick. It will just be a bit slushy. Yeah. But that's... I mean, I'm up further north and it's... It's barely sticking here, so. Yeah. Oh, shit, man. Because <laughs> I haven't got snow tires yet. And now, yeah, as soon as it fucking snows, the, everyone's going to be out there my, getting snow tires. <laughs> my tires are close to bald, so. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I'm a, I, have, I have fast reflexes. I'm a teenager, right? So. Yeah, you'll be all right. <laughs> you'll be all right. <laughs> what, you, what you lack in driving experience and makeup yep. for in <laughs> physical <laughs> abilities. <laughs> Yeah. No, but it does look beautiful, especially out these big windows. It does look nice. It, it, yeah, it's nice, but also shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. Oh, man. Um, sorry. No. It, <laughs> Back to the uh, topic. Um, so, yeah, it started off with my investment in a staffing agency. It was a local, it was a small agency. And... They had an interesting idea, which was to create a software platform to allow gig workers or low to no skill workers the ability to kind of market their, their low to no skills or their time, I guess, uh, with other businesses. And because there's no there's no chance that like, you know, if a waitress is going to go to Cactus Club or to Earl's or something, they're not going to show up and be like, well, I've got like five years working at this place and working at that place. I've got all the experience that you need. And the job is saying, we're going to pay you $15 an hour. They'll say, well, I think, you know, I'm worth 17 or 18. Yeah. There's no yeah. bargaining Most in yeah. those jobs. They're yeah. like, no, forget it. We'll hire someone else, right? Because I should have high demand for those positions. Yeah, because most anybody can do them and it's just kind of filling the role, right? And what this app was kind of going to do, among other things, was kind of democratize that and provide a little bit of... Um, you know, bargaining in that area. And so how I was going to do that was that it was going to work with businesses that needed staff. It was going to staff these jobs, obviously, as a staffing agency primarily. But it was going to take data from these businesses in terms of 
like when they required more staff and when um, okay. you know they like the, their busy times and stuff like that. And it was going to sort of bargain on behalf of the worker, right? So I mean, I hate comparing this to other things, but like Uber, for instance, you know, there'll be a listing like a, a like a, a delivery, right? And there'll be a one delivery will have you know, a $2 tip and the other one will have like a $4 tip and be a shorter drive. Mm -hmm. Which one would you think the guy's going to want to take, right? $4 one and a shorter drive. Um, And so, and and Uber also, um, depending on, you know, and I'm sorry, I was talking about Uber Eats there, but Uber and actually the, like the taxi kind of Uber, um, they have peak times and stuff, right? And they fluctuate their prices yeah. all the time based off of those peak times. And so it was going to function sort of the same way, but for these businesses like restaurants and bars and stuff like that. Okay. And so it was going to allow these people to pick up a shift that, at a busy time and they were going to get paid more per hour. So, um, and then it was going to provide those businesses with qualified vetted labor quickly so the whole thing was eventually we're going to get to a point where we can uh, deliver a qualified worker within an hour so these businesses could scale up scale down their businesses like pretty much by the hour if they wanted to only work on this platform and so that was a pretty interesting idea and so uh i was going to invest in the company and then decided that I was just going to buy the company. <laughs> and, uh, and then, so what happened there was I reached out to a bunch of colleagues and old friends of mine and said, hey, like, look, we got, well, the two, Dustin and Stuart. And Stuart was primarily in sales, enterprise sales, software sales. Dustin was a designer by trade. Um, and marketer and he was one of the best designers I've ever seen I think Mm -hmm. and so I said hey guys look we're gonna want to buy this company we're gonna build this platform on it and it's gonna be great right (laughs) obviously and that deal fell through but we still had all these assets that we had created prior. So we began kind of working on this thing prior to closing this deal mm-hmm. with these guys. Cause what was going to happen was we were going to, we were going to build the platform and then we were going to buy their company and kind of merge. It was going to be kind of like a merger. And so, cause they were going to bring the customers and the contacts and the staff, initial staff, and then we were going to integrate them into the platform. Right. And that mm-hmm. would be kind of like that MVP. And so the deal fell through and we were like, well, we still have this, this platform. Let's keep going with it. So we're like, all right, well, let's get a developer to do this. And we were going through that process and I was looking at, I was doing all the numbers. So I was obviously the finance guy. Doing all the numbers to see, okay, how many customers are we going to need? Like how many businesses do we need to get? Because it's a marketplace, right? So we're yeah. all transactional, and so we're obviously taking our 
our little commission from that. And so I wanted to see how fast and, and how many businesses we'd have to grow because I'm sort of formalizing this monetization strategy and before we get to like an economic viability here. Because we didn't want to raise venture capital. We wanted to do the bootstrap route and fund it ourselves. But with that, we obviously had a tighter restriction on how much time we could spend on building this thing and getting customers and, and all of that, right? Because we had to pay ourselves something at some point. And so it began to look increasingly further and further out the door. And I took a step back for a second and was like, hey, you know, we were going to buy this company. Why not just buy another software, like a totally different company? Just buy another software. At the time, it was a thought it was a software company. Okay. Right? So just buy another software company. Instead of building our own, investing our money into this, we can do a leveraged buyout on a software company. And so prior to Maker, I did M&A for transportation companies, and that was all like LBOs. And what, 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 what do those uh, letters mean? Sorry. An LBO, sorry, an L leveraged buyout. Okay. So back in the 80s, I think it was, it's kind of like the glory days of private equity and LBOs, where it was like, 90 like 100 percent debt acquisitions like it was okay. insane um that's kind of where that came from like big deals like uh, rjr nabisco that was a that's a uh, there was a book written about that one um i think it was barbarians at the gate that's what the name of the book oh, okay and that was i think one of the biggest lbos in that decade that happened Anyways, an, a leveraged buyout is when you utilize debt to acquire a company. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to buy your company for 10 million bucks and think I need to have 10 million bucks in the bank in order to do that, you could maybe have 3 million bucks in the bank and you would then get the other seven million from a bank, right? Mm -hmm. Or 50-50, you could have five million bucks. And okay. The bank had five million, right? And so you can obviously get a multiple greater of the money that you actually do have. And your return on the money that you're investing is much greater because you're using leverage now, right? So if I was to invest $100,000 into a company, like if I bought a stock and put $100,000 into it mm -hmm. and it appreciated 20% in a year, yep. my return is 20%, yep. right? But if I put $100,000 into a stock and then leveraged another $900,000 onto that, mm -hmm. right? So I bought a million dollars worth of stock and it appreciated 20% oh, and I uh, and you know that would be 20% of a million dollars right so whereas in the original example I would have got 
a 20% gain on my invested capital. In this instance, I'm getting, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not gonna do quick brain math here, but a lot more than 20%, right? Yeah. So, um, well, it's a, like, a, I think a 200% gain, right? Yeah. So that's how leverage helps you. But then you have the cost of that leverage, so you'd have to factor that in, but maybe that's like, you know, reduces that 20% by 5%, so it's 15%, but then it's, okay, it's okay. $150,000. So you're gonna get 150% on your invested capital by using that leverage. What happens, like, what, 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 what happens if it doesn't go your way? What happens if you invest? Oh, well, like, if it doesn't go your way, yeah. your risk is greater, right? Because you have to pay back that 900 and you only have 100,000 of equity in right. the deal, right? So, so how if work? you bought a million dollars worth of stock and it depreciated 10%, all of your 100 grand is gone because you have to return that 900 to the bank at some okay, point, okay. right? Yeah. So your risk is much greater. Yeah. Whereas if all you did was invest that hundred grand, you would be down ten grand. But you would still have ninety. Higher risk, higher reward. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So when we're buying businesses, we're looking for stability first and foremost, because our main objective is to ensure that that debt is covered amply. Um, so any fluctuations in the business or under normal courses of business, like we'll stress test that, mm -hmm. right? To see, um, our objective here is to obtain two times coverage. So whatever the cost of the debt is, okay. including interest, principal, and whatever else is, is two times that that's what the business is generating in cash. That is quite comfortable. Most banks they'll lend on about 1.5 times. So we want, much more than that, obviously. And that gives us enough security, assuming the business is also quite stable historically, right? To pay the debt down quickly, because as you pay that debt down, you're also increasing your equity, right? So if you, in this hypothetical stock example, yeah. if you bought a million dollars worth of this stock, you got a 15 after you paid down after you paid mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the cost of capital, you got 15% return. So you got 150 grand. You then take that 150 grand and, or you know, maybe take 50, give it to yourself. You take it, that 100 grand and then you pay that debt down on top of that. So now going into the next year, you only have 800 grand of debt and whatever, let's just assume yeah, you yeah. only paid interest, right? You didn't okay. pay any principal. Yeah you would now have 800 grand of debt. Your equity would be, you know, 200 now, right? So you could obviously sustain a little bit more variance in that stock price. Your risk has been reduced a little bit there. And so that's what we want to do quickly. But now if we were to sell that stock, right? we would get 200 grand back. Not mm -hmm. just, not just the hundred, right? Well, plus the 50 that we gave to ourselves, we would get 250 yeah. grand back, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, that's in a year, 150% return, 
right? So that's kind of how we utilize debt. That's like a, the general simplified strategy around like an LBO and why using debt and leverage can make sense in a deal and dramatically impact your return mm-hmm. for good or for bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or at least to me it makes sense. <laughs> um, so a lot of people that are have an entrepreneurial mindset, they they would rather start something with their friends than by themselves. Like a new startup or whatever that mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. You started a maker with with your friends. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of a huge percentage of the people that start with their friends, it doesn't work out because they start disagreeing on, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the how much of the company they own, uh, money, whatever, right? They start disagreeing and then, you know, they divide up. How do you manage to keep that relationship with, with your buddies and not divide up? It's like, a very good question. Thank you. Yeah, not many people are that insightful. Uh, that happens a lot. Like, that's very true. Um, <clears throat> It's, I mean, there isn't like any kind of strategy around that. It's just know who you're partnering with and align everybody correctly. Be fair, be a good, and be a good person, right? There's obviously going to be like bad actors. People change. You can't predict that in the future, but you can cover your risk when you're forming the company by putting certain things in place to prevent any bad actor from, you know, doing anything mm-hmm. right. Nefarious. So, you know, you set those, those rules, those ground rules. Initially you structure the ownership of the company effectively and you know, you you have to think about it. You have to think about those things, like what could go wrong and how would we deal with it? And you got to get like pretty nasty with these simulations that you do. But ultimately, know who you're partnering with, really, at least the best you can. And just be fair, be a good person, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing else you can really do after that right because people are going to do what they're going to do yeah most definitely were 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 there any disagreements that you guys had and how did you guys you know fix them or come up with a solution well we haven't had many disagreements that's good actually yet (laughs) and we have only been in a business in, in business for a little over a year We formed the company in August of last year. First acquisition was in January. So, yeah, a little over a year. Um, But, you know, it's like small things about each other that bugs each other. Because we're all learning, again, like how to work with each other in a very high-stress environment that Mm -hmm, we didn't mm -hmm. have before. Because everyone's got skin in the game, right? So it adds a different element to everything. 
And if you just, you know, you just have to do it like I just said prior, right? You have that fallback, you have that structure, you have those bylaws, you have those rules in place. But you also just have to work with each other, really. You have to address people's concerns. Like, what are you concerned about? How can we fix it? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Be reason- re- reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you can work through it. Right. So, and then that one, one out of 10 chance, you know, that's what you got the structure and the bylaws for. And hopefully it doesn't get too ugly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Right. But no, I mean, really where our kind of disagreements come from mostly or frustrations are not really disagreements, more so frustrations come from is just like the nature of a very high stress environment. Oh, okay. And that's- that's expected. People being really. short-tempered with things because okay. they're stressed out. Yeah. Right. Okay. And also learning how people work with each other and learning how, like, you work. You know, like I'm learning how I work with other people in this very particular environment. Like in my previous in previous jobs, it's not the same because I'm not. I don't really have anything personally on the table. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I. I, I I don't stand to lose much besides like a job that I could go get another job, right? Fairly easily. So <clears throat> in this instance, I do have a lot to lose. I have a lot that everything that we've built, all the money we've yep. invested, like it's a lot. All the people that we, that have invested in us, which isn't many, but all the people that have invested in us so far, which is mostly family and friends, right? You have to look at them when you tell them you lost their money. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress and I have a tendency to get into people's kitchens with things and I'm trying really hard to step off that. Right. But it's hard when you care so much about something and you want it to succeed. It's hard to not get in there and try and control what's going on and micromanage and stuff. Yeah. And you really just have to be, you, it's trust. Like you really just have to trust the people that you hire yeah. or that you partner with to do their job and that they can do their job. It might not be the way you would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. might <clears throat> miss some things that you wouldn't have missed, but you just have to let them do it and mm-hmm. step back. So I'm learning to do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys... What is, how, how is it set up? Do you guys have like a leader who kind of helps manage everything or you guys, like I, like I understand like your guys' title is co-founders, but is mm. in between you guys there like one leader that, you know, kind of makes the decision final or is it all really divided up? Not really. Yeah. I mean, all three have to agree. Mostly because all three of us are directors. So like if we're going to acquire a company, it requires resolution of the board of directors. So all three of us have to agree to it for it to happen. Um, so there isn't really any one person. We just have our different jobs okay. and our different areas of expertise. So like my area of expertise is finance. And so I go, I find the deals, I structure the deals and 
put them and present them to everybody else and we discuss them right and then they come at it from their angle and eventually we come to a conclusion as to whether we want to do it or not um most of the deal is pretty finance related up until we get a signed term sheet and we go into diligence and then that's when we really test assumptions because I have obviously have a base understanding of operations and, and that stuff. Like I can understand the sales, what's going on with the sales department. If there's opportunity there, glaring opportunity there, same with marketing and, and tech and stuff like that. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I can see that present that to the guys and they'll be like, yeah, it makes sense. We'll submit a term sheet. And if we get the term sheet signed, we move into diligence and then that's when they really step in and we really analyze the operations of that company and really start mm -hmm. to stress test a lot of the financial assumptions and things like that because you know we have that exclusivity period when you get a term sheet signed is usually an exclusive well there definitely is this exclusivity period which can be anywhere from you know a month to like six months or whatever and during that time, you're doing due diligence. So you're really digging into the business, learning as much as you can possibly learn about this business. But there's no deal done yet. So term sheets are non-binding in most cases at this level. And until there's a definitive agreement signed, which is at the end of the due diligence, you can step off at any time and be like, nope, doesn't work for us. So, mm -hmm. so really how our process works is I source a deal. I speak with either, if it's a broker deal, I speak with the broker, the founder, whoever. I gather all, our inform all this information that we require in preliminary diligence, put it all together, form an opinion, give the guys a bit of an update, I say it makes sense, we're gonna send a term sheet. Send a term sheet. If it gets signed, great. Then everyone's already up to date as to like what this generally is. And then it's boom into the into the diligence. And then everyone mm -hmm. dives in. What does your average day look like? I get up at like seven thirty, seven o'clock if I'm feeling exhilarated and yeah i will listen to a book i like audio books you never stop learning you always gotta yeah, be 100%. learning man yeah and so listen to a book and drink coffee then i will go to the gym after the gym come back walk the dog take my dog to the park, come back home. And then I kind of get started on things. Mm -hmm. So I'll see, check emails. I, I, I try to make a point to give myself about an hour to two hours in the morning. And I don't, I don't check my phone, don't check stuff, right? Like I'll see the notifications and I'll kind of see a general thing. Yeah. If anything is like an emergency, then yeah, I'll do it. But 
generally I'll see that and then I won't do it until I'm done my whole kind of morning routine thing. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll get to the office, well, my home office, and then I'll pull it up and I'll start responding to emails, seeing what's going on, checking in with people, uh, following up on things and assuming, you know, everything's good there, then I'll start reaching out to, to brokers or cold outreach to founders and other businesses that I find interesting that I think we would like to buy. Mm-hmm. And then if there's any pressing matters with uh, deals that we have currently in the pipeline, because uh, most of the time I'm kind of waiting on them to return stuff to us. Right, right, right. Uh, but if they return something to me that day, then I'll get on that and <clears throat> we'll integrate whatever that is into into what we're doing and move to the next step there. Um, I'll probably talk to Sam quite a yeah. bit. Uh, he's a very, uh, very important member of the team, especially on the, on the deal side. And yeah, then I'll probably give Dustin a call, talk to Dustin. I mean, generally, man, it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty chill, pretty chill day day mm-hmm. in the life it's not overly exciting um mostly because we work from home right so yeah and how's that aspect from working from home i hate it like? yeah yeah i, I don't like it that much but would you rather be in an office i or? would i would yeah. yeah i would prefer an office i would prefer an office that isn't an insane commute so right fair enough the commute i don't like i don't think anybody likes but i could handle you know 15 minutes, something like that. Okay. And I, I just, so what, the reason I say that, I did like working from home initially. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it was nice, <clears throat> all the freedom that you kind of have. But, it, and the quiet is, is interesting. You, like, you can just focus on what you need to do. However, where my job is sort of shifting in the day-to-day, it's a lot of discussing. There's a lot of discussions that go on. Talk Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. And, like, I'll be on the phone with Sam sometimes for, like, three hours. Or I'll be on a call with Dustin for the same amount of time, right? Just talking. Or I'll even be on the phone, and we're doing work on the computer, you know, and then we're just talking. Mm-hmm. It's like we're in, we might as well be in an office. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. And, and so, because things happen during the day, like especially on the deal side, things happen during the day where you just need to, you need to talk. Things, big things happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it, it, you need to get immediate <laughs> input on it and you got to discuss and things, things happen. Yeah. Right? You got to make decisions fairly quickly. So, you know, we don't have like a live deal at the moment, like a signed term sheet in due diligence, which if we did, it would be even more intense, right? Um, <clears throat> so for that reason, I would prefer an office. I would prefer mm-hmm. everyone to kind of be together where we can have those impromptu discussions. When things pop up, we can do a real quick like huddle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and discuss that stuff. So, yeah, I would prefer an office. 
You mentioned audiobook. What mm-hmm. what book are you recently listening to? Uh, well, I re-listened to a book called The Outsiders. Okay. Phenomenal book. It was like Wall Street Journal like bestseller. I know there's a lot of those, but okay, okay. It's uh, <clears throat> one of the best, I think, finance books. You can read mostly for entertainment purposes, um, but it goes over, I believe, the top 10 uh, CEOs by their actual performance in terms of like free cash flow generation and, and just in growth. Um, it's... Yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's yeah. a really, really good book. Really interesting read. Um, and we formulated a lot of... It's influenced a lot of our strategies. What these CEOs did in their histories and what they focused on mm-hmm. is, is really what we tried to focus on too. Because it's really easy to get lost in all the hoopla that goes on. But when you really boil it down, what these... CEOs focused on was what really matters at the end of the day. Okay. And they did a phenomenal job at focusing on what mattered. You know, you know the 80-20 rule? Sounds so familiar. So 80% of the work or the result comes from 20% of oh, the work. yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. So, yeah. like, when you really boil it down, these guys are really good at finding that 20% and focusing on that 20%, and they got a huge return and they didn't kill themselves doing it. They actually maintained uh-huh. work-life balance. You know, they, they left the office at five o'clock. I mean, look at Warren Buffett, for example. He's on there as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look at Warren Buffett. He, like, he shows up to the office. You know, he has his routine. But he reads all day. That's what he does. He just reads. Which is kind of like after I've done that operating job that I have within Staff Connect and stuff. When deal sourcing or analyzing businesses, it's just reading, man. It's just reading. So all I really do is read. And that's what he does. And it, and then he leaves at like 5 o'clock or whatever. He doesn't stay. He doesn't work till like 10 p.m. He doesn't do 16-hour days. You know, he just has his balance. But he has insane stock performance, right? Like his investing track record is the best (laughs) in the world, Yeah. right? Best in history. So it goes to show you, man, like there's a few key things you need to focus on. You get good at those things. Everything else is noise. You don't need to kill yourself to be successful. We take a break. I gotta run to the washroom. Yeah, yeah, real yeah, quick. for sure, for sure. Yeah, 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 no problem. <laughs> and we're back. We left off audiobook. Um, oh yeah, The Outsiders. Yeah, yeah. Definitely recommend reading that. Do you think? Okay, with me, whenever when I listen to an audiobook, if 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 I, if I was to read a book and listen to an audiobook, I'd get way more information from reading that book than I am from listening to an audiobook. Mm. What is, what do you, 
What, what, what oh, are you I'm, I'm uh, the opposite for listening. Listening, yeah. Yeah, reading. I just, I find myself, like you, you mentioned earlier about when you're listening to a podcast and you just kind of zone out mm-hmm. for 20 minutes and you got to come back and reread it or re-listen yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I do that way more frequently when I'm reading. Oh, I see. Interesting. So I'll be like pages deep and I'll be like, what did I just read? Okay. okay. I'll just be gone. Yeah. You know, I see. What you <laughs> I don't even know yeah. how that happens or I'll just fall asleep <laughs> right away. Like, yeah, I think my record has been like two pages, <laughs> two pages and I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but listening, I, it keeps me awake. I'm engaged uh, and I'm also mm-hmm. retaining the information. I do have to go back and like listen to things a few times yeah. sometimes. Um, no different than when you're reading, you have to kind of reread yeah. this thing you just read. And you said you were re-listening to The Outsiders? You yeah, I was to listening book. to it. Because then I can do things, I can like do cardio, listen to it. No, you said, sorry, you mentioned re-listening to it. Oh yeah, I, I was yeah. re-listening okay. to it. I had listened to it like a year ago. Okay, okay. And then I wanted to revisit Such it. Such good information, they had to revisit it. It is. It's when you, the second time you go through it, you hear things that you didn't exactly. hear the first time, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's entertaining. I find it entertaining. Yeah. You know? And it's good to just kind of also just reiterate the important things, what to focus yeah. on, right? So, yeah. 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 The key to, you know, being happy all day. Uh, or the, you know what? That's a very <laughs> no. Um, I've uh, would say I'm happy all day. No, no, no. yeah. <laughs> I uh, wish. What was it? It was. They said when you, in the morning, if you go work out and you get your blood flowing and mm-hmm. you, like muscle growth, that's a very that's a very statement. But muscle growth leads to happiness. There's a big study done on it, and you know it's been proven. But then again, I I don't have it in front of me, nor do I. Um, so, and, uh, how is, how does your workout routine look like? And, you know, have, how long have you been working out for? And I used to do first thing in the morning. Um, but I found that I just had lackluster physical performance at that time because mm-hmm. my body wasn't primed. Um, so I pushed it out a little bit. So now I'm kind of at around like nine thirty, ten 10 AM mm-hmm. I'll work out. And I find that to be a good time for, to give my body time to wake up, to get some kind of food in me. Because uh, when I go to the gym, I usually lift heavy weights. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, as is like, you know, a former Olympic weightlifter, didn't go to the Olympics, but did compete. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, I like lifting heavy stuff. <laughs> what, is, what, what, what is the most... Like, what is a misconception or myth about lifting? Because you've been lifting for a while now. Mm-hmm. So what, what have you either experienced or seen or, or know about? Oh, man. I, well, it's a whole science. So, like, what do you, you want to know? What do you... Just anything. Some of, some, of, some of the biggest misconceptions are... 
or any advice you give to students out there who are, you know, going to the gym, but either, I don't well, know. Well, actually, okay, here, you know what? I got, a, I got a bit of a, it's a story, not really much of a point to it, but okay, go for she, it. when I was in high school, mm-hmm. I wanted to join the military. And it'll be funny because of the title of this podcast is not going to lead someone to think that we're going to talk about the military. Um, (laughs) But that's kind of a pretty, in my opinion, I think it's a Mm -hmm. fairly common career path for some students, you know, in high school, right? Some teenagers to think like, yeah, I like the military. Interesting. It sounds like it's it's, it's actually a good path to go down. It teaches you a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you know, learning the body language thing, right? It teaches you deport- deportment. It teaches you how to stand up straight. You know, they teach you a lot of things, right? How to carry yourself um, and how to speak. Hmm. Well, outside of the swearing part. But, okay. you know, when you, you have respect for people, it teaches you how to show respect. Mm-hmm. Um. But when I was in high school, I wanted nothing more than to get into the military. So I started training when I was 15, and I applied to the military when I was 16. They said, no, you're too young. And I'm like, well, it says on your website you make exceptions. Because <laughs> for the job I wanted to do, I wanted to, to be an infantier, uh, which is infantry, which is like a foot soldier okay. right um the job description of the infantry is to close with and destroy the enemy so it was really just to blow shit up okay. right and shoot guns and so you only need a grade 10 education to do that job so i was like hey grade 10 get me in right yeah dumb decision but anyway uh would not recommend that to anybody listening at grade 10 or military at all? At grade 10. Okay, okay. Finish high school. Okay. Yeah. Finish high school at the very least. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so they didn't let me in, uh, but they did at 17. Mm-hmm. So I got in finally at 17, and I was doing basic training while I was going to high school. So yeah, I got into the military, and I wanted to just continue my career there. Uh, thought about going to RMC, which is the Royal Military College. I heard terrible things about it. Uh, and then I applied, because I was in the reserves at the time, and I applied for Reg Force for a couple jobs. And I can't remember exactly why I didn't take it, but ultimately decided against doing that. Uh, and I was in for about seven years. I got out and wanted to be a cop right after. Well, I wanted to be a cop while I was in the military. And so I, everything I did for, from 15 to 25 or 24, something like that, was all related to either the military or being a cop. Okay. And that was all physical stuff. So back to your original question about working out. Um, you know, biggest misconception is that like, well, no, the most important thing with working out is just consistency. Just, you don't need 
to do, and again, it comes back to my original point, kind of the undertone here is just balance of things. I am a very extreme person, and so I do everything with 100% effort. It's either 100% or it's nothing. And there were days where perhaps, you know, I maybe only had 30 minutes, but I knew my workout would take like an hour and a half. And so then I wouldn't work out hmm. because I only had 30 minutes, you yeah. know, and it was like an hour and a half or it was nothing. Right. That was a mistake. Like okay. consistency is more important in the long run than going a hundred percent all the time. If you, you go hundred percent three times a week or you go, you know, 50% one day, 70% the other day, 30% the next day, and then, you know, 20% the day after that, because every it's a roller coaster, right? Like everyone's emotions are different every day. You right. feel different every day. And but if you just go to the gym, you do your best for that day. Of course, you have your goals and you try and hit your goals, but you stay consistent over the long term, you will get to yep. you will achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, there's no, there's no need. You're not going to get there any faster doing it that other way. Mm-hmm. Let's just touch a bit upon your high school experience. Mm-hmm. What was, and then after high school, did you at all go to university or? No. 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 I, well, I did, but I like dropped out. What uh, were you, what were you studying in university? I s- went first thing I studied was kinesiology and then I went into criminology uh, and I didn't I, I enjoyed criminology more than kinesiology okay I just wanted to learn how to work out be stronger and like you know be fitter and I get in there first thing is the skeletal system and I have to label all of the small bones in your skull and I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> this is not helping me get bigger, yeah. stronger, faster. So screw that. And then I was like, cop mindset too, right? So I was like, I'm gonna be a cop. So I went into criminology, and I liked that more. It was more like, it's more interesting. It was more mentally stimulating for me. Uh, however, I just generally didn't like school, so. Mm-hmm. I stopped doing that and just went, uh, you know, full bore into the military and into the police, trying to, trying to be a cop. I had applications into the RCMP. I got deferred after one year with the RCMP. I got deferred for two years uh, because of something that they knew from the very beginning of that application. So they just dragged me along for a year for no reason, wasted my time. <sighs> Absolute definition of wasting your time. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I applied to the CBSA. I had my application in for that. I made it all the way through to the end. Like I was waiting for a date to go to Quebec where they have, where they do their training. And the recruiter said, oh yeah, you're next, you're next up. Like you missed this intake, you're on the next intake. And then I got a, an email saying my physical test was expired. My fitness test was expired. So I went and redid that. And then I got an email stating that my uh, psychological test had expired. 
Which that one lasts a while. That lasts like two years. What is the one. psychological test? Sorry. Um, well, you so there's two. Uh, there's two tests. They're like anywhere between five hundred and a thousand questions each, and they're just like weird questions, like which way do you prefer to turn a doorknob? Type questions. Like they're they're weird. Like, do you want to instinctually grab it with your right hand and turn it to the turn it clockwise, or do you want to grab it like with your left hand and turn it counterclockwise, or like whatever? Okay, okay. Just weird, weird questions like that. Just to understand how you think, and then it grades you as to whether you're weird or not, I guess. Um, I see. And so, and then you have to do an interview with a psychologist after you write this test. It's a bit of a process. It can take like two weeks to like a month to, to get your appointments and stuff. And that, but that lasts like two years. That's valid for two years. Okay. Like they assume that you're going to get a job offer before that expires. But I didn't. And so that expired. And that was the last draw for me. Two year deferral from the RCMP. And a whole fuck around with the CBSA for another like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. It goes at the end of the process for a year waiting to go when I was getting these emails saying my stuff was expiring. And at the end, at that point I was, I was just, I was sick and tired of my future being put on hold by somebody else at a desk in like Regina or Ottawa and just waiting for them to rubber stamp my application, right? Mm -hmm. Some government employee who's probably pretty lazy, not saying they all are, just saying, yeah. you know, <laughs> these people in particular who didn't rubber stamp my application were lazy. And, uh, and I was tired of that. So I'm like, I'm gonna make my own, make, make my own way. You know, I'm gonna do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really the start of getting into finance. Uh huh. So, going into the military, what were you thinking for the future? What was just military and that's it? Or did you have other plans? When I was in high school, I was just thinking military and cop. Okay. I was thinking military and cop for a decade, a little over a decade. I got into the military, didn't get into any police agency, and that's when I went into finance. Mm -hmm. But it was over, it was about a decade, a little over a decade of my life that was dedicated to doing that. I see. And it didn't work. It didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Right? So, but kind of glad it didn't. Yeah, because all this happened. Yeah, right? I'm doing this. And I enjoy this much more. I mean, it's a much happier existence, especially now and everything that's going on. Oh, yeah. Most you definitely. Know, with you know, being yeah. a cop. It wouldn't, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a downer job. You get that job, you want to help people. Like, that's exactly. what I want to do. I wanted exactly. to help people, but then you just, you get handcuffed by the law and you just can't in some instances. And you're also just exposed to terrible things every day. Yeah. Like the only time people call the police is when something bad is happening. So like your experience every day is going to call after call of bad stuff, right? of varying degrees. I mean, yeah. if you're a very strong person mentally, 
then you could you can probably handle that you could, you could be okay you can turn it off which i learned yeah. in the military i learned how to do that um but if you don't know how to turn it off then it can really mess with you like i think if you want to be a cop a good start is the military mm-hmm. because it teaches you a lot of that base level skill that you would need not like shooting a gun or being fit and stuff like that but just about yourself and how you respond in stressful situations six months at depot in regina with the rcmp is not going to do it not at all like you you need in the military specifically in the infantry you are going to get exposed to very high stress environments and training and you're going to learn a lot about yourself and how you respond in those instances. I took yeah. it a step further and went and did, uh, I got bored. <laughs> I, I got frustrated with the military because we weren't actually doing what we were trained to do. And there was no, there was nothing in the future or there, there was nothing in the foreseeable future where we would actually have been able to go and do that. Like I joined after we left Afghanistan. So I miss I, I missed Afghanistan. And like that is what an infantier trains to do is to go to war, close with and destroy the enemy. Like that's your whole job. So when all you're doing constantly is just training to do something and never actually doing it, it gets a little frustrating. Did you have a chance to go somewhere? No. To, no. No, that's what I mean. There was nothing okay. for us. And so I got a little frustrated with that and that also further pushed me in the direction of being a cop because I would actually have got to do the job that I would be trained to do, right? Um, But prior to that, I started bouncing because I wanted a little bit of action. (laughs) And I wanted to see. And during that was when I realized like how much the military had conditioned my mind and how good I was under pressure relative Mm -hmm. to other people that weren't in the military. Right. And, and so that's kind of where I formed that opinion as to, you know, if you do want to be a cop or do any of these things, like starting having a foundation in the military definitely helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was speaking to uh, Mayor Ken, the mayor of Chilliwack, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, like, there, there's, there's a big issue right now. There are not enough people graduating the police training when they are leaving the police mm, mm-hmm. and there's that big like what would what what would that look like would the training become easier or how would you know because you yeah. know that's that's a, that's a real issue i guess it is it is that happened that's in in the military i mean we had in special forces there was the same kind of issue that like we we saw in there that like a lot of guys were getting in and getting offers to like tier one units like the top of the top right who were like really like we're kind of questioning it like are you, mm-hmm. are you sure you know it's like just because the dude's fit kind of thing you know because you you gotta be pretty damn fit right um and so it was it was because a lot of it has to do yeah with like recruiting and numbers you mm-hmm. know they need to keep certain levels of strength in these units right and yeah the police force 
but also compounded by the, the police forces, sorry, is compounded by the, um, like, you know, all the boomers retiring, right? And societal issues where I think that a lot of people don't want to be police officers right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because they don't really have the best reputation at the moment. So, you know, I think that's kind of compounding it. They're kind of hit, getting hit in multiple areas, but also, you know, it was, it was seen to an extent in the military as well, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. I completely understand. Yeah, well, what do you want to, I mean, what, do you, what are your goals, man? What do you want to do? I've been talking about myself for like two hours now, so <laughs> I'm getting, you know. I have no idea. Like, I don't know, this, like, I'd say I have a pretty entrepreneurial mindset. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I've, I've started this podcast and, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to improve on, obviously, but, you know, mm-hmm. so far it's been going pretty well and, you know, this is not, this is, this is not something I want to do as my, you know, my main, may, maybe it is, you know, wherever life takes me, mm-hmm. but like, I'll, I'm, I'm hoping to open up, to start a few more startups either by myself or with friends and uh, just see where that goes, try out, try things, you mm-hmm. know, because I think, you know, a lot of people that I had on my podcast said like, get out there, try things, you know, if you're, Especially like in career-wise, if you're living life comfortably, mm-hmm. you're living it wrong. That was a quote from uh, Jay Timms, who I had on. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, like, life isn't supposed to be comfortable. You know, get out of your comfort zone, especially if you're... You gotta push it. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, a bit confused with what you might want to do or confused in other areas, you know, push yourself, get out there. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, that's... You're not, you're not living life. Not growing. Exactly. You're not growing. If you're comfortable, then you're not growing. It's exactly. the same thing with working out. Right, that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. If if you never, if you always stay in your comfort zone, you always keep your heart rate at like one twenty or whatever, one thirty. You're not, you're never gonna grow, right? You need to push it. You need to lift a heavier weight. You need to feel uncomfortable. It needs to hurt a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's where growth comes from. Exactly. Growth comes from discomfort, right? Value is linked to difficulty. Mm-hmm. If you want something that's valuable, you have to do something that's difficult. You know, it's, there, mm-hmm. there, is, there is an example, like uh, the six-pack example. If, if, you know, you want a six-pack, and if it was easy to get and everybody mm-hmm. could get them, they wouldn't be valuable. No, no. So, you know, and it's difficult to get one, so that is why you yeah. see people walk around in six-pack, you're like, wow, like they put in the work, they put in the time, like yeah. props to them. Yeah. So, you know, if you, want to do, if you want to achieve something, you know, then... Well, it's like that cliche, anything worth... Or how, Jesus, can't even remember it now. <laughs> Just, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a plenty of cliches out there around yeah. around that. Anything that's you know worth having is doesn't come easy, right? Yeah, type thing. So, yeah. I was listening to this just recently, uh, a few days ago. I was listening to this podcast that I highly suggest. Let me just find it. Um, they talked about one second. Where is it? Uh, Charlie Munger, mm-hmm. he, they, they, they were, so the podcast is called My First Million. Yeah, 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 I, mean, I, yeah. yeah. I think I listened to it. Yeah, so basically yeah. One, of, one of the things that Charlie Munger said was, you know, if, if, if you're trying to achieve something, really think about whether you deserve it or not. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if 
like exactly like for example with my podcast like do i deserve to have 10 million listeners no i i personally don't think so i don't think i've been putting in that much work to get those 10 million listeners you know so just really especially if you're like going for a goal mm-hmm. really think about like like i mean it could be good if i had 10 million listeners like mm-hmm. i wouldn't you know i'd, I'd take it but would i deserve it mm. you know and if you know if, if 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 i'm if i don't deserve 10 million listeners then i should work to deserve that mm. you know mm-hmm. work hard enough and mm. so anyway that was that was just one of the key points that like really struck out to me and whenever whenever i'm like you know oh dang yeah i want to have this or i want to have mm-hmm. this i always think to myself like do i deserve this mm-hmm. did i mm-hmm. do enough to deserve this or that or whatever so yeah. That's interesting. I've never thought about that. I guess because I've always kind of been like a 100% or nothing kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I've never really thought like do I deserve something? Because like if I'm setting out to do something, I'm putting like every ounce of myself into it. So mm-hmm. the answer to that question is going to be yes. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even been doing it. Right, right, right. right? So I guess it depends on who you are. Most definitely. You know? Like if this is something you enjoy doing and it's like a hobby and you're just like, hey, like I'm gonna get into, I'm gonna go to university, I'm gonna get a business degree, I'm gonna get into business, I'm gonna do some startups with my friends, like that's gonna be my thing that I like go hundred percent on. But this is just fun. Like wherever this leads me is cool. Exactly. Like, I'm not exactly. really gonna, you know. Then that's totally different, right? Yeah, and I wish yeah. I was a little bit more like that, where I like did more things, because when you go a hundred percent into something and all you ever do is a hundred percent, you won't fail. You Well, no, you do. Like- Absolutely. You can. I think I'm a testament to that. Okay. I've definitely failed more than I've succeeded. Um, I mean, like, look at, I, I failed at being a cop, right. you know, like, let, I, let me, I, let me, let me reward that. But, but yeah, but, but yes, like the reason what I'm getting at here is that when you go a hundred percent into something, you're so, consumed by that one thing and you're all focused on that one thing you forget everything else everything else so you don't have a second thing like you you don't have this podcast that just because you're putting in a little bit of work every day which is the i mean einstein said it right like compounding interest is the strongest force in the universe right those just that small effort Every day. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. But you are going to do this every day. Put a little bit of effort in this podcast every day. And at some point, maybe you'll have those 10 million listeners. Because that little effort every day compounded into you, yes, deserving 10 million listeners. Mm-hmm. That was enough work. Right? But had you only put... A hundred percent effort into one thing, you wouldn't have even started that. I guess, yeah. Like that would never have even been an option to happen to you, because all yeah. you would have done is this one thing. And so that's one thing I wish that I had done differently. Is that, and I realized when I was younger, is that you can still achieve that goal that you have, like that dream that you have. But keep your options open a little bit. Like, be flexible. As, as long as you learn a lesson from whatever it is that you did and failed mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you didn't fail. That was just a building block 
for you to get to where okay, yeah. it is that you're going to go, you know? Yeah. Because I don't look at the military or not getting into the police or any of that as failures. Those all contributed to who I am now and led to me making the decisions that I make now and that have led me here. And I like, I like being here, <laughs> you know? Mm. I like this spot, Yeah. you know? And, and continuing on from where I'm at now, it doesn't end, right? You know, we'll make good investments and we'll make hopefully not many, but some inevitably, yeah. right? Some bad investments. And as long as we learn, as long as none of those bad investments are cr like mission critical single point failures, uh, which, you know, through diversification and just being, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of risk conscious would avoid. Um, and as long as we learn from them, it's just going to improve how we look at other opportunities in the future. Yeah. Right. It's going to change our thoughts. We're going to have another data point to reference for things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. really, I mean, do as many things as you can do and fail at a lot of them. I mean, that's the benefit of being young. Like even for me, we could, we could fail again. We could, I could, we could fail four, three times, you know, four, five, six times over. You have your whole life ahead of you to make it up. Like when you're starting from nothing, you don't have anything to lose. You mm. got everything to gain, right? Mm. So that's when you should swing for the, I mean, it's a cliche. It's the whole conversation with you has <laughs> been kind of filled with cliches, but yeah, swing for the freaking fences, man. You know, go for it. If you have an idea for like some business you want to start, do it. Just, you know, start it. And you don't need to figure every little detail out. Just get going, you know? Yeah, I like that. And if you fail, you fail, but you learn a ton of lessons along the way. You yep. Right? Yeah. Some people argue that life experiences are more valuable than, like, university degrees or... Oh, absolutely. And uh, absolutely. I, I, I would agree with that. Completely agree. Yeah. Why do you think that entry-level jobs say we want you to have this degree and four or five years experience in the role, right? Mm -hmm. Like the experience is, is everything. I mean, school trains you and teaches you in a very broad scope, right? Especially high, like, I mean it begins to narrow down as you work yeah. through your education, right? Like you get to university and you can really start to like focus, but even where you're focusing in university is still a very broad, broad, it has a very broad scope. So, but when you go to apply for a job, usually it's a very specific thing that you're doing within a business, which is also in a very yeah. specific industry and operates in a very specific market. So if you have experience doing that job in that specific industry, in that specific market, then you're going to be a lot more valuable than someone that had a degree that covered a lot of things, including that industry and businesses in that industry. 
but they've never had those conversations with people. They've never actually seen how things get done, mm -hmm. right? So, and they never actually had to do it themselves where they had skin in the game, you know? It's all been theoretical up yeah. to that point in school, right? Yeah. So, so, so get that experience. The sooner you can get the experience, the better. doesn't mean you have to have the job, but you can do things and put yourself out there that will give you similar experience that will help you when that time comes, right? Yeah. So what would be the next step for Baker? What is next well, step? Just finding more Just going to continue, is, man. Yeah. Just continue to acquire great businesses. Yeah. You know, yeah. profitable online businesses mm -hmm. and, and just build a, build a great company, really. What advice would you have for teenagers who are, who are wanting to start a startup and they're either stuck on something or, you know, just, just, just some advice that you'd give them to help them on their way? High school students who are thinking of starting a company. Yeah. Oh yes, anyone. Anyone thinking of starting a company? You guys, you guys managed to, you know, get to well, today. So. I think I already said it. Like, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Nike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like again, the, the the lower or the earlier you are in your life, the less you have to lose. So just do it. The threshold to, to what warrants your time is a lot lower. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the further along in your life you are, the more that you have to lose, like you have a wife, you have kids, you have a house, you have all this you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You can't make those huge risky bets and those huge decisions. And those things that like, you know, those ideas that you have and that you would like to do, you can't do because it's just so, it's so out there and how much time it would take from yeah. you where you could allocate your time into this. Like I could just work more and I could just get paid more. If I put that amount of time that I would put into that project, into my job, I know what I'm gonna get from my job. I don't know what I'm gonna get from that. And I have a wife, kids and a mortgage to pay for, yeah. right? So, but when you're a high school kid, you don't have any of that. So you have an idea, just go do it. Just test it because you have nothing to lose. You're in school, you know, what else are you going to do? Play, like playing video games, exactly. right? Like it, that's, that's the comparison you have to the value of your time. Yeah. If, if you have an idea, don't let it sit and run away. <laughs> no, no. But also ideas are a dime a dozen. Good ideas are a dime a dozen. Execution is what matters. And execution, good execution is learned from experience. Good execution is learned like from that. failure. So the more failures you have when you're at your point in your life where it's the, the least risky, mm -hmm. the more experience you're going to have in execution. And then when you do have a good idea, you have the experience of executing. And so you'll execute on that good idea. 
I like that. Yeah. So if that, if I was to summarize everything into yeah. one, that would be it for high school students. And then as we finish up here, cause my computer is going to die in a little bit here. <laughs> um, what is your favorite book? You mentioned outsiders and yeah. what is your favorite podcast? Yeah, book. Well, I mean, I have a lot of. It's hard to pinpoint like one one. Let's book. do. Let's do. How about this? Let's do uh, towards business. Or are all your books towards business? They're pretty much all towards okay. business. Uh, okay. well, um, name a few. Name a few. Well, I like Barbarians at the Gate. That's just the classic, and The Outsiders. That's another good one. It's you know, it's kind of like the Taylor Swift and. Drake of the business book world okay. a little bit, so you know there's not okay. much originality on that one, I guess. Um, and they're just applicable to what we do. And podcast. <sighs> Entertainment and just general like let your mind kind of go would be Joe Rogan because of the people he has on. Yeah. Uh, he just has a wide range of just random stuff, you know, which is cool. Yeah. So that would be entertainment. Um, for business specifically, I, I mean, my first million is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I just started listening to it so far. I've liked the first. They have some. They I've have seen. some good guests on. Yeah. This is one with this uh, this woman. She bought a business, mm -hmm. uh, no money. So like I was talking about with leverage, right? She bought a company with no money and you can absolutely do that. So anyone out there, like any high school students who are thinking like, oh yeah, you know, I'd like to start a company and, and start your own company or buy your own company. You know, it, it's kind of the choice you have and both have their merits, but if for anybody listening, if, you know, starting your own company isn't something that really resonates with you, but buying your own company, a company that's already established, already has revenue. And you're like, I'd like to do that, but I have no money. Mm. Sounds like the prerequisite to buying a company is to have money in the first place. It is not. You don't mm. actually don't actually need money to buy a company. Um, so there is a, yeah, I, I can't remember the, the title of it, but it's a My First Million podcast. And so the woman who bought a company, I think the company did 20 million in revenue, something like that. And yeah, she bought it with, with no money. Huh. She was a Harvard MBA though. Okay. So she, she knew how it worked. And so that was the thing, you need to know how it works. But it can absolutely be done. So... Mm -hmm. that was a good one from the my first yeah. million I thought that was really interesting because not a lot of people talk about that or explain like how you can do that yeah well uh, I appreciate you coming on thank you very much it was a very chill and relaxed conversation which you know I've, I've, I've had that with Sam I'd say I mean this is my second long episode mm -hmm. that I've had so you know I'm liking it and uh now I gotta drive home. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. <laughs>